Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Very cool. Well, as uh, Ben said, it is Father's Day, and happy Father's Day to, uh, to all the dads in the room. Uh, I, love, uh, I love a good dad joke. Uh, it was great to have... Uh, uh, an Australian, a Kiwi, and a South African up here on stage. It's almost the start of a joke itself. Uh, but uh, really great to be able to celebrate dad jokes. But aren't they embarrassing? No, aren't they embarrassing? Dad jokes are embarrassing. I read through some of the, uh, the, the dad jokes that uh, the guys pulled together, and I, I did find one that I, I really loved. Uh, and it's, it's this. What do you call it when Batman skips church? A Christian bail. You just get that... I think that's really clever. And the other one that I think kind of matches my situation is, uh, what do you call a man who is always forgetting where he parked his car? Car loss. <laughs> lost his car, lost car. It's embarrassing, right? It's embarrassing. I'm going to move straight on. <laughs> and talking of losing things, bit of a segue. Talking of losing things, I don't know about you, but I'm always losing things. I don't know if that's a dad thing. I don't know, it's a male thing, I don't know if it's just me, but I am always losing things, losing my phone, losing my wallet, losing my keys, losing things. And I find that the best way to actually find them again is not to actually go looking for them, because I do a dad look, I do a man look, I can never find things with my eyes. I prefer to search things out with my mouth and say, hey Laurie, have you seen my wallet? I'm not sure if you guys have done that. But my wife, she seems to know where everything is all the time. I'll say, hey, Laurie, where's my wallet? She'll say, have you checked the bench? Oh, yeah, it's on the bench. She'll, uh, I'll, I'll call out and say, hey, Laurie, have you seen my car keys? She said, yeah, they're on the bedside table. And, of course, they're, they're on the bedside table. And then uh, I'll ask her, hey, Laurie, have you seen my phone? And she says, have you checked your pocket? I said, oh, yeah, it's in my pocket. How about that? But she knows where everything is. And so I'm usually going to ask her straight up, hey, Laurie, if I've lost something, hey, Laurie, have you, do you know where such and such is? There are a couple of occasions, though, where I don't really want to involve Lauren in the situation. And I want to share one of those stories with you. It's, it's kind of when I lose things that, you know, it's a little bit embarrassing to lose, like your kids. Don't really want to shout out and say, hey, Laurie, have you seen the kids that you entrusted me with? My son Saxon and I... Um, a few years ago now, we, were, we found ourselves at the supermarket. I don't know why we were given the supermarket mission, but we had to go to the supermarket to buy three or four groceries. And uh, it was just him and I. He was about three at the time. And uh, we were living in the States. And in the States, everything is supersized. So everything is much bigger, much more choice, and just much more scary. I don't know. Again, I don't know why I was the one who had to go into the grocery store. So anyway, we, uh, we wanted into the grocery store. And these aisles are massive, and there's so many of them, and there's so many distractions. And I've got this list of three or four things, and as I said, I'm not really good at looking for them, so for me, it's trying to find a needle in a haystack uh, in this store. And I'm wandering around, and then uh, I turn the corner and looking for whatever it is, and I look around, and he's gone. My three-year-old son, Saxon, he's disappeared. Oh, gee, I didn't want to ring Lauren and say, hey, have you seen the kids at that point? So I retraced my steps, and, uh, and I couldn't find him. Where we'd just been, he wasn't there. And, and, and I was starting to get a little bit worried. 
And so I did that thing that you do when you lose someone in the supermarket. You go down one end of the store, and then you just walk along the back wall, each aisle, having a look. Are they in that aisle? Are they in that aisle? And in the first aisle, it was just empty. I could have bowled a bowling ball down and not hit anyone. And the second aisle, there was the, it was the people fighting, like fighting, having a verbal disagreement. And I thought, oh, that's a bit sketchy, not even going there. And as I kept walking down past the aisles, I still couldn't see him. And my nerves, my heart rate was kind of getting higher and higher. Uh, do, I, do I call Lauren and say, hey, do you know where Saxon could be? Uh, do I call the cops and call it in? You know, this is America, and we're in a bit of a sketchy part of town, and I'm like, oh, I hope he doesn't go into the car park. He, he, he'd be lost. He, he might get abducted in America, shot. You know, and I'm, I'm freaking out. I get to the end of the store, and I still haven't seen him. It's like he's disappeared into thin air. And I'm really getting tense at this moment. And when suddenly over the loudspeaker comes this, uh, this beautiful voice. It says, would the father who has lost their son please come to the customer service center? I've never heard more beautiful words in my life. I sprinted to the customer service center and there he was, poor little Saxon, all hopeless and alone. And I picked him up in a warm embrace and I said, Saxon, I'm so glad I found you. I thought I'd lost you. Turns out he'd been distracted by some toys. He'd gone and played with these toys. It was in part of the store where you couldn't quite see from the other end. And turns out later, um, he, that was his favorite place in the store. He always went there. And so for the rest of the ride home, I said to Saxon, all right, Saxon, this is just between you and me. This is going to be our little secret. You know, we're not going to tell mummy. You know, we don't want mummy to know that daddy can't be trusted. We're never going to hang out with daddy again. And so we, he says, yep, that's cool, dad. I'm, I'm all in with that plan. And we get home and Lauren's excited because I got the three or four things that she actually wanted. She said, oh, how was the trip to the shops? And the little scoundrel, he dobbed on me. He said, daddy lost me. I'm like, oh, buddy, come on, work with me here. Oh. I don't know if you've ever experienced losing something, losing something. Maybe you've, uh, you've, you've lost your keys, your wallet, your phone. It's not, it's not that bad. Losing, uh, losing a kid in a shopping center, maybe you have done that and you just actually haven't admitted it yet. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure whether you are here this morning and you have, um, have lost something. You know, maybe you've spent hours wandering around a car park looking for your vehicle. Maybe you got to the point where you, you cancelled all the cards in your wallet and then the next day you found it wedged under your bed. Guilty? Uh, I'm not sure if you have lost things, but it's a, it's a, it's a frightening experience. It's a terrible, terrible experience. I, uh, I also want to acknowledge on Father's Day particularly, it can be a difficult day for many. You know, you, you've lost something far more significant than your keys or your wallet. And there's some people here that have got some pain associated that's accentuated on these kind of days. You know, you may have recently lost dad from your life. And he may have passed away or, or there's just a rift in the relationship and it's, it's no longer the same. And some of you here, you've, uh, you've, you've lost kids. And maybe they've passed away or, or, or they've, they're just in a different space. They've walked away from you and your family. And I just want to acknowledge from the outset that Father's Day can be a challenge. But this morning at the same time, we're going to explore a story that tells us of the Father's heart for us. How much he loves us and he cares for us. Now this, uh, this story this morning, it's a, it's a story that 
uh, is known well. It's known well in the church. It's even so well known that uh, even in our post-Christian culture, it's fairly well known still in our society. It's a story of the father's heart for his children. And, and you've probably heard this story dozens of times, but this morning I really believe that, that God wants to show you something new. God wants to speak something new into your life this morning as we read this story. So I want to, want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to, uh, to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to read the parable of the lost son. And this parable actually fits. Jesus tells three parables all together. Three stories about things that are lost and are found again. He, he shares, firstly, a story about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. And he knows where 99 of them are, but one of them has gone away. One of them is lost. And so the shepherd leaves the 99 to go and find the one. The second story Jesus tells is the story of a woman who's got 10 coins but has lost one. And she searches the house high and low, flips the house on its head, trying to find that lost coin. And there's great celebration when she finds it. And this last story, the one that we're going to look at today, uh, this story is about, actually it's about two sons who were lost in their own way. And although we call it the parable of the lost son, this parable is actually more about the father than anything else. This story is all about this incredible dad and the lengths that he goes to to find his son. And so this morning, as we read through this story together, we're going to look at it through the lens of the Father. So let's get into it. Luke 15, we're going to start at verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son, son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. This is quite a radical story. This is a radical story. We've probably been a bit desensitized to it because of our, our culture and the number of times that we've heard this story. But when Jesus first told this parable to his, uh, his followers, the people who had gathered around him, they would have been shocked by this outrageous request of the son. And the son wants his inheritance now. He says to his dad, I don't want to wait until you die. I want my share of your property right now. This would have been scandalous in ancient Eastern times. The son is effectively saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. It's still outrageous today. I mean, imagine a son turning up to his father and saying, Hey, Dad, I know you've got a long time left to live, but do you mind if I start dipping into your super fund? Or, or, or Dad, can you sell your house and give me the proceeds so I can go and travel the world? Now, that, that's kind of an outrageous thing for, uh, for uh, a son to ask of his father. And as Jesus' listeners heard this story, they would have expected, they would have expected the father to kind of slap his son across the face. How dare you even ask that question? But what's even more outrageous 
is the father's response. The father says to his son, okay, we'll do it. Let's sell up. And it's a humiliating thing that the father is doing here. It's an embarrassing thing. It's a scandalous thing that the father is doing. He's got significant wealth, but he agrees to transfer a portion of it to this scoundrel of a son. And the son continues to disrespect his family, his community, by selling up, by liquidating that inheritance and turning it into cash. See, it was, uh, it was one thing to get an inheritance before your father passed away, but you never, in that culture, you never turned it into cash before he passed. You'd always wait until dad passed away, and then you could liquidate the assets and do what you want with it. But that is not what the son does here. He's disrespectful. He doesn't care about tradition. He doesn't care about his family's standing. He selfishly and arrogantly sells everything, bringing more shame onto his family, and then he ups and leaves. And through it all, the father allows it to happen. Through it all, the father gives freedom to his son. The father doesn't refuse his son's request. He doesn't stand in his way. He doesn't deny him his wishes. Even though the father knows exactly how this is all going to turn out. The father gives freedom to his son. And this story is so countercultural. It's so radical. It cannot be about an earthly father. From the opening lines of his story, Jesus sets the father up as a metaphor for who God is. A God who gives freedom to his children. A God who allows his sons and daughters to make whatever decision they want. A God who allows his kids, who knows what's right for his kids, but allows them to choose their own way. God is a perfect gentleman and a perfect father. He desires the best for us. In his word, he's given us instructions on how to live our best life. He wants us to live a life that glorifies him. But he also gives us free will. He allows us to make our own decisions, even when that pains him. And we experience that tension in our, in our own parenting journeys. We bring up our own children with the, the values and beliefs that we hold to be important. And I'm sure you've trained your children in the ways they should go and you hope, you trust that when they're older, they'll follow the wisdom that you've given them. But we can't make them. We can't force our kids to do what we want. And sometimes when we try, when we do put our foot down, we end up pushing our kids further and further away. I remember in my uh, late teens and early 20s, causing my mum particularly a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of sleepless nights as I made choices that she wasn't really proud of. She was worried which way I was going to go and how I was going to navigate this journey of life. But like the father in this story, there's great pain when you see your kids making choices that you don't agree with. And if you're in the, the middle of that situation this morning, we're going to have a time just a little bit later in the service too, just to join with you in prayer. 
Join with you in praying for your son, your daughter, your loved one. But this father, at significant pain and cost to himself, gives freedom to his son and allows him to go and learn from his mistakes. Jesus continues the story. He says, after, after he, the son, had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. What a disaster. What a mess this young man has made of his life. He has blown through all of his cash. There's nothing left from that huge inheritance, and he is dead broke. He's so desperate that he ends up hiring himself out to go and work with pigs. The ultimate, ultimate insult for a Jewish person. And he's so desperate that he wants to eat what the pigs are eating. You know, he's so desperate that he wants to kind of get involved in the slop with them. And he's completely dead broke. Jesus uses the words, no one gave him anything. Meaning that the, the, father, the, the farmer was so stingy that he wasn't even getting paid to feed the pigs. And so he finally decides that returning home is the only solution. But that has its own problems. See, in the ancient Jewish culture, keeping face was a huge thing. In many of our cultures today around the world, it still is. But it's wrong, it was wrong for the Jewish people to bring shame on your family or shame on your people. And there were a number of ways and ceremonies and things that the Jews did to steer their young people away from bringing shame onto themselves. Now, the, the Jewish people had a number of, uh, a number of ceremonies, and, and one of them uh, would have been the, a ceremony that this young man would have faced. See, if you uh, took your inheritance and you spent it, you wasted it, you lost it amongst the Gentiles, the Jews didn't like that. The Jews thought that was shameful, to go and squander away any of the money that had been made in the Jewish community with those who were not part of that Jewish community, the Gentiles. And they had a, 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 a way to um, kind of warn off anyone who was tempted or desired or risked going and doing that. And they had a ceremony for this purpose of, of punishing anyone who frittered away their inheritance outside the Jewish nation. And they would punish this, uh, this person who would return to their community with nothing. And the way they did it was, was pretty intense. You know, they would, uh, as soon as somebody came back into the community who had nothing left, they would take a pot. They would take this pot and it sort of resembled this, this gift that had been given, this inheritance that had been given to this particular person. And they would fill this pot with burnt corn and burnt nuts, kind of saying, hey, you've, you've burnt up what we gave you. 
What you, what you gave, what we gave you as an inheritance, you've kind of frittered away. And, and as this young person or older person, whatever age, would come back into the village, people would surround them. People would kind of almost lynch them and say, hey, you were cut off from your people. You were cut off from your people. And they would take this pot full of corn and nuts and right in front of that young man, they would take it out and they'd smash it on the ground. That woke a few of you up. They'd smash it on the ground, breaking it into thousands of pieces, indicating that the relationship between the Jewish people and this scoundrel who had gone and frittered away their inheritance was broken. They couldn't be trusted. They were no longer worthy of having a place of privilege in the community. They were ostracized from their family. They were on the margins of their community. They would have to scrounge and eke out this existence because no one would trust them with their funds again. This broken pot resembled that the relationship between a person and their community was broken. And in his brokenness, in his sin, this person who had spent the inheritance amongst the Gentiles, he'd be separated from his family and his community and his faith. The community would have nothing to do with the guilty person. He'd be ostracized and rejected from his people. Now, this ceremony was called the Kazaza ceremony. And this Kazaza ceremony awaits this young man. He's seen it before. He's heard about it. He knows what he is coming back to. He's coming back to rejection. He's coming back to pain. He's coming back to isolation. He will never again be welcomed into the family as a son. Instead, the best that he could hope for was to kind of maybe earn enough as an employee, as a hired slave, to eke out a, a meager living. The son knows what he's coming back to, but so does the father. In fact, the father never loses focus on the son. The father has been earnestly waiting, praying, hoping that his son would come back. Often when we hear this story, we, we picture the father living on a, a big farm and in a big house on this land, just always standing at the edge of his gate waiting to see if his boy is going to return down the road. But Jesus' original listeners would have had a different mental picture. See, back in those days, the farmers didn't actually live on the land. The only time they did was during the harvest. For most of the rest of the year, the, the landowners would go and live in the village, in community, with the other landowners, with the other members of the community. They would stick together. They would stick together for protection, for safety, for community. And they would all be in together. The houses were really packed in tightly. They would share walls. The streets would be narrow. And as a landowner, this particular farmer would have had a, a house of prestige in the village. Probably would have had a house that had a second story that he could look out and look over the rest of the village. 
And so every day, this man, this landowner, this father would get up and uh, look out of his balcony over the village, over the teeming life and at, at the only road that leads out of that village and hope and wait and pray for his son to come back. Now this, uh, this father had just such a, a heart for his kid, had such a desire to see his son come back And every day he was on that balcony looking out, watching, waiting, hoping and praying for his son to come home. That the father never lost focus on the son. The father knows what will happen if his son returns empty-handed. He's seen the Kazaza ceremony before. He knows the separation that will forever be between his son and his people. He knows the brokenness. And so he is on the lookout to do something about it. And in the same way, God, our Heavenly Father, is on the lookout for us. He knows the struggles that we face. He knows the joy and the pain that we carry. And he is always present in our life, inviting us back to himself. He never loses focus on it. No matter how far away you feel from God, no matter what you have done, no matter what you have said, he wants to draw us back to himself. He invites us to return because God never loses focus on us. And so we come to the crux of the story. The young man finally gets up and returns to his father. Jesus' listeners would have been leaning in at this point. They know that the father has previously been shamed, the son has been shamed, and the son has returned to his senses, but he deserves to be in all sorts of trouble with his dad. They're expecting the Kazaza ceremony. They're thinking, hey, it's time for that community to bring out the pots. But Jesus flips the script. He turns the expectation on its head. And this father figure, this heavenly father, is about to do the unexpected. See, the father never lost focus on his son. One day, as the father does his usual check of the horizon, he climbs up to the second story of his house, looks out of the balcony at the road leading into the village. He sees this figure in the distance. Could it be? That figure is about the right height. He's got that walk that is so familiar. I think that's my son. I think that's my son. And as he he looks out past the village, his gaze turns to the community in front of him, teeming with life, people milling around, and he just knows what is going to happen. If those villagers see his son, come into the village, they're going to surround him. They're going to lynch him. They're going to drag him out and smash some pots in front of him. But the father thinks, what if I do something different? The father thinks, what if I reach my boy before my boy reaches the village? If I can do that, I can protect him. I can save him 
from the community. If I reconcile with my son before the villagers get to him, they won't reject him. So once again, the father takes great shame upon himself. He does something that is unspoken, unheard of in this culture. Great personal humiliation and embarrassment. He starts to run. He hitches up his, up his robes and he begins to run. You know, he shows his legs off to the community. And as he's running around the village, people are pointing and looking at him and laughing and saying, that's so embarrassing. That's scandalous. That's just hideously embarrassing. But the father doesn't care. Everybody's looking at him. They're not seeing who's coming in the village. He can see who's coming in the village. He's filled with compassion, filled with love. And he picks his son up and says, welcome home, son. You're back. I found you. You're home. And he says to his servants, hey, quick, get in some clothes. Get him some shoes and his feet. Get the family ring. We're going to put it back on him. My son, who I thought was dead, is alive. My son, who was lost, has been found. He's here and he's my son. And I forgive him and accept him. And so must you. Isn't it exciting, Saxon? Yes. Look up here. You, you and I look the same today. You're like mini-me. <laughs> hey, well done. I love you, even if you do, do dub mommy on me, okay? Cool. Why don't we give Saxon a uh, round of applause? <laughs> but what a display the father puts on in welcoming his son back. When the community was about to lynch his son, the father embarrasses himself by running running out of the village, wrapping his son in up, his, up in his arms, forgiving him and accepting him in one fell swoop. There won't be any lynching now. There won't be any public rejection of this young man. His father has prevented that. Through his own public humiliation, through his own sacrifice, the father has secured the forgiveness and the acceptance of this young man back into the community. The father shows radical forgiveness to his son at great personal cost. See, the only thing the villagers will remember is how embarrassing it was seeing that old, distinguished man run. How white his legs were. How humiliating it was for him to have to run. That's what will stick in their minds that this father was an embarrassment for the sake of his son. And let's face it, that's kind of the biblical example and the biblical background for dad jokes. You know, that we as dads can be embarrassing to our kids. If ever you kind of, uh, if you ever have the kids say to you, hey, dad, can you stop that? That's so embarrassing. Just say, hey, it's in the Bible. They'll be even more embarrassed. But that's where it all started. See, the father in this story shows radical forgiveness to his son at great personal cost. And of course, this is an incredible story, an incredible depiction of God's love and grace for his people. Jesus tells us this story because it's an image of what God the Father does for us. While we were still sinners, while like sheep, all of us had gone astray. God gives us his radical forgiveness at great personal cost. The, the Apostle Paul, one of the most significant writers 
of the Bible, the most significant writer in the New Testament, says these words in the book of Romans. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And he continues a few verses later. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have rebelled in our own way. All of us have turned our backs on God and rejected him. We all deserve to have our pots shattered in front of us, to be cut off, to be separated from God for the rest of our lives and beyond. But that is not God's intention. Just like the Father in this story, the Heavenly Father wants to share his radical forgiveness with you. And he does it at great personal cost. He sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to take the punishment on the cross that we so rightly deserved. Jesus was the one upon whom the blame of the world was laid. Jesus was the one who paid the price for us all. Jesus was the one who endured embarrassment, shame on the cross so that we so that we could be saved. Paul continues in Romans chapter 5. He says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Jesus took on the shame of the cross. He took on the punishment for all of our sins so that we could be restored as children sons and daughters of God and so that we could share in his blessings forever. This morning, I want to ask you, have you allowed yourself to be found by the Father? Have you experienced his warm embrace? Have you felt the love and forgiveness that comes through a friendship with Jesus Christ. As we, uh, as we come towards the close of our time together, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to be welcomed home by the Father. Regardless of your own experience with your own earthly dad, your creator, Father God, wants to welcome you into his family. He wants to wrap you up in his warm embrace He wants to forgive you. He wants to envelope you with his love and accept you as his son or his daughter. Will you say yes to him? That's all that's in your court. Will you just accept it? Will you say yes? I want to give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus this morning, to accept that embrace, to have that forgiveness wash over you. Right across this room, I want to invite us just now to, uh, to bow our heads and close our eyes. I just want to create some space for you to accept Jesus this morning. And if you're here this morning, I, I want to give you an opportunity to accept the embrace of your heavenly Father. And you want to start that journey this morning. You want to put your trust in Jesus for the first time just want to ask you right now, wherever you're at, if that's you, just to raise your hand. 
just to raise your hand so that, uh, that, that I know, so that I can pray for you and so that we can connect you with some people who'd love just to cheer you on in the journey. You're here this morning and you, uh, you know you've been living a long way from his plan. Jesus just wants to welcome you home. He wants to invite you into his family. His arms are stretched wide. Will you accept? Will you raise your hand this morning? The Bible says if, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised, you from the, raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. He sees you as his child. He welcomes you into his family. Will you accept his offer this morning? If that's you for the first time here, you want to put your trust in Jesus this morning, can I just get you to raise your hand? I'd love to pray with you. Wherever you're at this morning, just raise your hand. Don't want to drag it on. just want to give you that opportunity. It's awesome. That's great, mate. Thank you. Anyone else who'd just love to accept Jesus into their life this morning? That's great. See the hand. Put that down. Brilliant. That's cool. If that was you, if you stuck your hand up, I'd, uh, I'd love just to, uh, to pray with you this morning. I'd love you to, to join me in a prayer. And there might be many of you here this morning who, um, you know, you've got a faith in Jesus, but God's just being some, saying something fresh to you this morning. And you just want to, uh, you just want to say thank you. You just want to say yes to that warm embrace that he offers you. If that's you this morning, I'd love us all just to kind of, we're going to put a, a prayer on the screen. I'd love us all just to pray that prayer along. You can join me. Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done in my life. Please forgive me. I turn from everything that I know is wrong and choose to follow you. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the promise of new life. Please come into my life so I know your power and your grace forever. Amen. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or would like us to pray for you, please go to gatewaybaptist.com.au and let us know. 